Presented by The 910 Comedy Podcast Network. Okay, we are here, and Christy and I are so excited to welcome the one and the only Dr. Joe Jorgensen, our president, really. That's how I feel about it. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to be your president. Well, we love you for a lot of reasons. Um, We really love that you're the only presidential candidate that's never been accused of sexual assault or aggravation. So that's fun. (laughs) Never. Yeah. So, but we, one of the questions, and we're just going to get right to it. So um, we are female comedians and morticians. So we are in a male dominated world, much like you. How's that going for you? Oh, it's going great. In fact, the the one thing that is so exciting is that we've got so many non-libertarians who are signing up to uh, volunteer. In fact, it looks like uh, at least half of the people who are signing up are not libertarians. And that is so unusual, especially early on. And by the way, I'm also in another male-dominated field, although it's getting better, which is uh, I, I teach at a university. Oh, um, so my degree, I also work at a college. Yeah, yeah. My degree is in IO psychology, and uh, <laughs> it's it traditionally, uh, and and I'm a senior lecturer, but uh, traditionally oh. professors have been male. So, uh, but it's changed a lot uh, since I got into it. Wow. So you mentioned that you have a lot of non-libertarian people helping with the party. So do you find that people don't realize that they're libertarian? Do you want to explain to because pe- people they might not know. Okay. So, um, so like what's a libertarian? Yes. Yes. So a lot of people look at the Democrats and Republicans as an alternative, as different choices, alternatives to each other. But if, if you really get right down to it, it's the same thing. You've got big government number one and big government number two. In fact, years ago, people used to point out that, well, the Republican Party gives you economic freedoms and the Democrat Party gives you social freedoms. But now you can't even say that anymore. So basically, the both the Democratic and Republican parties take away our liberties. They decide how to spend our money. We've got bureaucrats in Washington deciding how to spend our money. And if you look at Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, you'll see it's just big government against big government, as opposed to the Libertarian Party, which believes in individual responsibility and individual liberty, that you should be able to make your own decisions and those decisions are better. Hmm. How do you feel about the Chaz situation? I am running for the presidential uh, office, and that is a federal office. And so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't. I don't be too flippant. Uh, let me say that I think that's an interesting experiment, and we'll see how that turns out. However, one of the problems that we have is that um, the federal government has gotten involved way too much in local uh, politics, local policing, local education, local everything. And if you think about it, crime is a local issue. Whether you get mugged or uh, robbed or burglarized, assaulted, whatever, that's a local issue. There's absolutely no reason to involve the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so what we've had is we've had the federal government supplying cities 
police departments with tanks, you know, anti uh, uh, grenade launchers and, and training and free money for other things. I say free, of course, it comes from us. Sure. And so now we've got kind of a soldier mentality going on in the police department that we would have never had if the federal government had just stayed out because it didn't belong in a local issue. So now we've got that extreme going on. So um, as president, unlike Trump and unlike, uh, you know, basically the two major parties, I wouldn't throw my weight around. I would wait until the governor asked me for help and then I would provide it if needed. But basically that's a local issue and we'll see how it turns out. So um, I know that you are in favor of doing away with prison time and arrests and stuff like that for like nonviolent victimless crimes. So how do you feel about the this bill that's coming up uh, to federally legalize marijuana? I think it's a good start. I think it's a great start. And I think it's long overdue. We saw, yes. what, happened, yeah. we saw what happened with alcohol prohibition, uh, organized crime, shootouts, violence. And if you look at alcohol use after alcohol prohibition ended, uh, social drinking went up a little bit, but addictions didn't go up and social problems didn't go up. And if you look at where our problems are now, they're with the prohibition, not the actual. Well, I mean, of course, there are problems with the drugs, but more of the problem. Well, yeah. yeah. But but and I don't mean to downplay that, but more of the problems are from the illegality. And what I ask people who you know, like this is the first time they're thinking about this situation. I asked them, when's the last time you heard of a liquor store owner uh, on the school playground trying to push gin? <laughs> or when's the last time you heard of a vodka addict breaking into <laughs> to pay for a vodka habit? Right. Or when's the last time you heard of two liquor store owners having a shootout because one took the other guy's um, street corner? You know, no, those are problems with drug illegality, drug prohibition, just like alcohol prohibition. And it, you look at look at it the other way. If, uh, if, if somebody's going to buy drugs, would you rather have that person buy drugs from a street gang or organized crime, which just puts money into that system? Or would you rather they buy it from a store from Philip Morris or Seagram's? You know, I say let them buy it from Philip Morris, much better alternative. It also brings up the point that if you're buying a substance, like the whole thing with the legalized marijuana and the states have legalized it, those are controlled and they're, you know, they are quality controlled at that point. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. It's, it's, it's just such a tragedy to see teenagers who are experimenting. Well, we see it in our, at least that's what comes through to us. Right. We've seen the fentanyl death rate is ridiculous. Exactly. Because a lot of people don't realize fentanyl is um, 50 times more potent than heroin. Oh. And heroin is already potent. In fact, right. supposedly that's why we've had um, you know, Janis Joplin and a few other rock stars die, because they didn't know exactly what they were getting. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can have truth and labeling, and then they can feel a little more, um, th they would be safe. And again, we don't have bathtub gin anymore like we did in prohibition when people would go blind. So why do we need this? So if, I, I want to call an end to the drug war and have a drug peace. And, and I'm not saying that because um, I want to go out and do drugs because I don't, because actually my drug of choice is illegal. It's bourbon. Um, so you might want to, by the end of this race, 
That's funny. <laughs> Good point. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, we need to, we need to pander to the drug addicts. What I'm saying is, if you want your street safe, if you want your kids in a school uh, without drug pushers, if you want, you know, all, all of these things, few, less crime, fewer people breaking into houses to support habits, that's where we need to go. And one last comment too, uh, Milton Friedman great uh, economist, uh, Nobel Prize winner, mm-hmm. pointed out that crack cocaine would have never been invented if cocaine hadn't been illegal. Because right. what happened is because there was so much profit to be made in cocaine, mm-hmm. it made sense to make crack cocaine. But if cocaine were legal, then economically, it wouldn't have made any sense at all to even come up, even to invent crack cocaine. So I mean, once really, they should have stopped putting it. I mean, they need to put it back in Coca Cola because that would help <laughs> us get through our day. Yeah, that helped me out. Yeah, it, it was in Coca Cola, and also when I was in high school, I had a drug education class, and at the time, they didn't think that cocaine was even addictive. In fact, oh. I'm, I'm, Yes, on a multiple choice test, you know, or, or, or true, false, whatever, you know, is cocaine? I remember, yep, the answer was no, cocaine is not addictive. But the, the thing is, and by the way, I've got a graduate certificate in drug and addiction studies as well. Um, so uh, uh, the, it's, it's a different kind of addiction where it kind of builds up slowly and people get yeah so so it's 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 not like the usual it's, it's a very it's a very specific type of addiction that most right. drugs have it's not like the meth no no or heroin oh yeah so we have a lot of libertarian buddy guy friends and when they heard that you're coming on the show i got this question over and over and over and over and it was who will build the roads <laughs> So many guys asked me that question to ask you. So, uh, um, I'm going to leave the roads as they are and leave it up to whoever, you know, city, state, whatever. What I will say, though, is I won't hold states hostage like Elizabeth Dole did. I'm not right. sure if you're aware of this because you're younger, but in the 1990s, she was transportation secretary. And and several states had a drinking age of 18. In fact, I went to school in Texas and there was a drinking age of 18 and I was actually a bartender in college. And um, so what Elizabeth Dole did is she takes in, of course, everybody's tax dollars from different states. And then she goes back to the states and kind of dangles the money and says, okay, um, do you want your highway money? If you do, you're gonna have to raise the drinking age to 21. And so, Something like roads, um, again, that should be a. Uh-oh. Oh no, she froze. Because. I'm still here. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I, I could see you. I'm not sure if you heard the end, but. We, we heard something. We You ended on my something like roads. Yeah. So uh, basically, Elizabeth Dole dangled the roads and said, and basically extorted states and said, if you want your highway money back, keep in mind that came from the taxpayers. If you want your highway money back, you're going to have to raise uh, the drinking age. And so that's how we have uh, the same drinking age across the whole country is because the federal government once again overstepped their boundaries. So as president, I would say I will leave it up to the states and uh, local departments to figure out how they want 
uh, to build the roads. Well, hopefully we can use our uh, all the revenue that the states will be getting from the legal marijuana. Um, but Dr. Jorgensen, I have to ask you a really important question for our listeners. Um, and that is, uh, have you ever had a paranormal experience? Meaning? Well, we are dead girls talking, yeah. so we do sometimes talk about weird stuff. <laughs> this is not this is not very presidential. Oh, um, that's okay. It makes yeah. yeah, bring it on. No, well, I'm. I, I know this sounds crazy, but uh, when I was in high school, I would have dreams that would come true. I mean, oh, like, cool. like like a lot of them. Like my friends would even ask me, "Okay, who's going to make cheerleading tryouts or who's going to make whatever?" Um, because I kept making predictions that turned out to be accurate. Now, I will say this, though, that there's no um, scientific proof, although that doesn't mean that that doesn't occur. So, um, what, you know, why not paranormal stuff? Now, I, now, I don't watch the paranormal stuff on TV like I do other shows. So, okay. Personally, I prefer a little precognition in my presence. <laughs> that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a check in the yes category for me. How are you feeling about things being renamed, you know, in the, in the light of the current climate that's happening? Again, I, as president, I'm going to allow them to, uh, they can rename it if they like. Uh, I do understand, you know, on the one hand, you've got the history and personally, I would like to see some of the statues maybe put in museums as a lesson of what not to do. Mm-hmm. However, my official position is I want to have federally owned land the size of a postage stamp, which couldn't even hold a statue. <laughs> so, but um, I've, of course, I'm not going to get involved with whatever the states want to do. Uh, universities, that that's their decision. Yeah, I have a question. I don't even know the background too, because again, my friend that's a, a rabid liberal or not liberal libertarian, he wanted me to ask, what is the NAP, the NAP? Non-aggression principle. Okay. Which basically is, um, I'm free to, I mean, this is the shorthand version. I'm free to move my fist where I want to <laughs> until it reaches you <laughs> um, okay. and not allowed to hit you. So, um, this involves not only physical aggression, but also monetary aggression. And it involves, for instance, what we have right now is we have a very aggressive government oh. who taxes us and then uses our money, sometimes for cases that we don't want it to be used for. And one of the things that really broke my heart with the whole Obamacare was hearing about those nurses, or not nurses, I'm sorry, nuns who were told that they had to provide abortion services or healthcare that had abortion when in their religion, um, abortion is murder. And so the government has no right. Again, we should have freedom of religion. Government has no right uh, telling nuns how, how and how they shouldn't be practicing their religion. And so that's very aggressive on the uh, federal government saying we have a different idea than you. And so we're going to force our, um, our views on you and we're going to make you do it. And, and if you think about it, over half of our money is taken in taxes and 
often it is spent on something we don't agree with or something that we're not in favor of. And the worst part is if we could spend it individually, we would do such a much better job than the bureaucrat spending it. So we can better see who serves us uh, with the bailout. We can better see which companies are, are working hard for our business. Let us reward the businesses who work hard. That was really difficult with the COVID stimulus because there were major corporations, major restaurants that were getting huge stimulus packages. Yeah. And a lot of our local restaurants here got the bare minimum if they got anything at all and had to close their doors. Right. Yeah. And so, not only, yeah, and, and not only that, but some of the large businesses were allowed to stay open and the small yeah. businesses weren't. So that that's a double whammy. So, and, and people say, yeah, but we got $1,200. And it's like, okay, but that money's coming from somewhere. So somehow you're going to pay it in taxes or future people are going to pay it in taxes. So it's coming from somewhere. And shouldn't you be the one to decide? And personally, I would rather spend it um, locally to support my community. But I had no choice. The uh, government took it and decided they knew better. Steak and Shake, which kept all of their money. Yeah. So, yeah. so we have one more question. Okay. I think Christy's going to ask it. So what do you think about um, Jeffrey Epstein? Like, what do you, do you, th do you think that there was a conspiracy? <laughs> do you think that there are pedophiles right now oh. getting away with it in our government? Oh, I'm sure there are pedophiles in every walk of life getting away with it. That's the unfortunate thing. So, um, and and my my background is psychology. Oh, yes. And, and, and I'm sure you've heard of psychopaths and sociopaths. And what's surprising is... We've been on Tinder, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very, very good. Um, what's surprising is how many sociopaths even become preachers and teachers and, and other things, because, um, you know, the, a, a lot of times they look for the path of least resistance or they look for people who are who are gullible and who are going to listen to them. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, they kept calling him financier. And from what I've heard, he was more of a con man, not a financier, yeah. that where he was getting his money from, you know, boiler room kind of stuff that's illegal. And then uh, Ponzi and then, stuff. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, that's uh, and, and I'm glad I'm glad that our culture is changing with that as far as women and children and uh, what's acceptable and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to point out it wasn't government that caused that change. Mm -hmm. uh, the Me Too movement was all homegrown. It was women saying we want we have a voice. We want to make a point. Mm -hmm. So uh, once again, you know, if the government could have fixed it, it would have by now. Yeah. We want to thank you so much, Dr. Joe. We oh, can we call you that? Can we call you Dr. Presidential Candidate Joe? <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah we love we love Spike because he's always like our favorite presidential Jew. So we're gonna call you Dr. Oh. Favorite Presidential Joe. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my students call me Dr. Joe. So I would like to point out to please, if you want to go to the campaign, we're at joj2020.com and okay. check it out. And please vote for me in November so we can make a real change. We will. And we'll link you to our page. We'll link all of that to all of our social media so we can get the word out. Thank you for that. I Thank you so much. I'm Minda. I'm Christy. I'm Dr. Joe. <laughs> ah, it's Dad Girls 
talking and we are back with the second half of the libertarian presidential nominee party i guess is that's how you say that i'm minda i'm christy and we have spike cohen i did it i'm here how's everyone doing he's our favorite presidential jew Uh, vice presidential jew vice presidential yeah whatever how do you feel about that man like that's a big deal how do you feel about being a vice presidential jew about being the vice presidential nominee like (laughs) or jew like whatever (laughs) or jew yeah how do i feel in general about being jewish no uh, yeah no i mean it's it's a big deal right like it's it's very it's a huge honor um it's funny because so after i got the nomination uh some of my closest friends called me uh who are in the party called me to give their condolences and i thought okay well this is still okay um, but so no, it's, it's been very interesting. It's been a fun ride. Uh, even, you know, and we're just getting started. We're less than a month into this. I was nominated on the 24th of May. So we're less than a month into this and, uh, it's been a total blast. I've had, you know, I've been able to do all these interviews. The whole reason I got into this in the first place is to leverage this campaign, no matter how far we got, uh, right. to spread the message of Liberty to as many people as I could. So whether that was, you know, I, I, I made it, you know, through just to the nomination contest and spread it during that. That was fine. Now that I'm the nominee, just really trying to push it out there on a, on a, on a, you know, level that no one else has been able to before and get, you know, tens of millions of people uh, signed on to the ideas of Liberty. And we'll see her Mothra. later. We'll see. Yeah. Mothra, Mothra's Mothra again. Okay. Um, it, so, you know, the idea of just get in front of as many people as possible. If we can get on that debate stage, I think we have a real shot at winning. And uh, and then uh, and then win the election and two terms and then I get elected and I get two terms. Sixteen years in the White House later, I think I will be able to say that I've accomplished uh, most of the things that I will have wanted to accomplish. So when exactly on that timeline can I expect to get my pony? Your pony? Year oh, wait, you, you guys ain't doing that anymore. Well, well, no. So uh, Vermin Supreme has been telling people that uh, he did ask. He endorsed yeah. Joe. Uh, with our blessing and cool. said that he was promised that he would be in charge of giving out the pony. So you would, I, I kind of have to defer to him on that. Uh, okay. But we were grateful to have him campaigning on this ticket. Um, Joe and I are really great fusion tickets. I ticket. I think the delegates chose very, very well. So I was going to ask you about that because you and Joe have very different fan bases. Mm-hmm. Cause I was seeing in a lot of the libertarian social media groups, it, it, it does seem kind of divided. Like the so, youth- yeah, so the way the Libertarian Party is broken up into into four main groups, and these are the most active people within the party. Uh, you've got your pragmatists, which are almost half of the party, and then you've got your Austrians, which is a certain school of economic thought that I'm actually a part. I, I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm a, an Austrian economist and uh, or Austrian economic believer, uh, and they have a caucus. And then there's the radicals, which I'm a radical. Uh, we have they have a caucus, and then there's the audacious people which uh, are very much supporters of mine as well. Um, and so I united three of the, of the four uh, cockeye behind me and, uh, and, and the Prags and some of the radicals supported Joe. And so that's how Joe won. And that's how, how, how I won as well. Cause those are actually two separate races. That's how the, how they pick. And so what the delegates chose was a ticket that would unite all of the various factions and caucuses. I like to say cockeye. I don't know if that's, I, I like to say that. That's I like, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but I, that's how I like to say it, is the cockeye. But the, the, you know, the different factions and schools of thought within the party. Now, if you look at Joe and my policies and our beliefs, 
they're as close to identical as any two libertarians beliefs could get, which is tough because oh. libertarians often don't agree on anything. Yeah. Um, we're, 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 we're a, a rowdy bunch that way. But so I think that we have a, you know, in terms of what we actually believe, um, pretty darn close to hundred percent agreement and, and all the big stuff on all the big stuff, hundred percent agreement. Um, I'm sure there's stuff we disagree with. I haven't really found it yet. Um, but what's interesting is she has more of a traditional presentation. So she's able to reach, you know, groups of people that want a more, you know, the things that they're saying right now is they want to return to normalcy and decency that they're not seeing in Trump and Biden. She fulfills that entirely. You know, I can be the edgy kid on the internet and bring people in with the memes and viral videos and stuff like that, but we're bringing them back to the same core message of libertarianism, self-ownership, the fact that the Republicans and Democrats have imposed this terrible dystopian system that we're living in right now, including Mothra, who is coming later in the summer, and we'll talk about that. Um, They are imposing Mothra on us, and we only we can stop Mothra. Me and him are like this. Me, well, then you and I are going to have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Then Christy... Christy, Joe, you and I are about to have a problem because before you came on, Spike and I have already built the statue that is going to be me fighting Mothra to my death. I mean, fighting... Wait, wait, wait. But wait, fighting is... Fighting is a charitable term. It's more like you just being eaten by Mothra. Listen, Mothra was not a bad guy. He just wanted his little girls back and they stole them. The problem is that Mothra... Mothra has now become a part of the military industrial complex. And so we were expecting sometime in August or That's September. Fighting him. Sometime in, well, I wish you well. Um, but sometime between August and September, he will be in the eye of whatever storm washes uh, uh, onto the Carolinas um, <laughs> that we're certain to get in this, in this cycle. Cause I mean, it's Thanks, 2020. And uh, so usually the, the eye of the storm is the calm part. Sure that'll be the moth part. So, you know, <laughs> it'll be like, Oh, thank, thank God. The, I, we're out of the eye wall. And they're like that. And that's, yeah, you know, so, yeah. you know, you're screwed either way. The moth yeah. is that, coming. That's how I want to look. Mothricane. The moth is coming, but she's going to rictus of death. I want the most gruesome expression on my statue possible. I can, that's I fair. Can, I can thank do that you. for you, buddy. I can yeah. do that. No, yeah. that's definitely that's definitely fair. I think I think any any depiction of Minda fighting Mothra uh, oh! should definitely show her in that the worst part of her torment. Hey, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks awesome. for coming on the show. <laughs> we appreciate you coming out. Hey everyone, JOJ twenty twenty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we we are linking everyone to JOJ 2020 on our yes, social please. media, by the way, we have done that. She did a fair job explaining libertarianism to our audience yesterday, because like she has said on a lot of her social media, a lot of people don't even realize that they're libertarians in their belief system. That's correct. Yeah. And so we, my chiropractor who I saw today, because I'm getting limber for Mothra, I was explaining <laughs> what we were doing and he didn't even know there was a, th- a viable third party option. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we're out there grassrooting. And yeah, we have, we want we to have, up on that. We have people who say, oh, are you going to be on our ballot? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to be on all the ballots. And we have been for a couple <laughs> cycles now. And they're like, oh, wow, really? What's it called? And I'm like, I already said that. Usually I already said that. And I'll repeat it again. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize the Libertarian Party is the third largest political party. Now, obviously, much smaller than the other two. And we also consider the other two to basically be one giant monster party that pretends to have different sides. So you have this, 
you know, illusion of choice. Um, right. But so we consider ourselves really the only viable option for the bad ideas, viable alternative to the bad ideas that Republicans and Democrats have done in their exclusive control of pretty much every lever of government at all levels for the last 150 plus years. Um, and so, you know, we so we're really if you're looking for an alternative out of that, we are that alternative, not just in 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 being a different party, but in a completely different way of looking at how government should relate to people. Democrats right. and Republicans want to impose top down central centralized ideas that grow their own wealth and influence and the wealth and influence of the winners and losers, you know, the, 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 the winners that they pick uh, as their cronies uh, to basically rob all of us at our expense to the benefit of them and their cronies. And we want to dismantle all of that and have a, a freer and fairer way of doing things. On a, on a more personal level, we did thank Dr. Joe yesterday for being the only person on the ballot who's never been accused of sexual misconduct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Multiple. The others multiple times with pretty credible uh, accusations. This one from Tara Reid on Joe Biden. It's I mean, there's not enough there probably to go to trial, unfortunately, but it's pretty I mean, the circumstantial evidence is pretty solid that we at least know that she's been saying it for quite some time and Mm -hmm. was encouraged by all of her closest loved ones to shut up about it, which is even it's like so there's the actual potential sexual assault itself and then there's the fact that her closest loved ones including of her own mother were saying shut up about it don't say anything about it for decades until she finally right. said no i'm gonna say something but she has all sorts of proof including all the witnesses who she's been saying this to since what 92 or whenever it happened right. allegedly happened um and we don't I mean, even 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 if that weren't the case let's look at what we have right now Look at this police brutality and institutional racism that's happening right now that's leading to all of these protests. Joe yeah. Biden worked with segregationists to stop busing or to try to stop busing. Joe Biden in 1977 said that he didn't like integration because he didn't want his children to grow up in a racial jungle. Those were his words. Joe Biden today likes to tell the heartwarming story of when he threatened to put a chain around a black man's neck because he was jumping into a pool. That's his corn pop story. Oh, uh, corn Joe Biden, corn pop. Hey. That that story corn ends with a bad dude. Corn pop was a bad dude, <laughs> and it ends in him the endearing part where he threatens to hang him. Um, corn. Uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, has signed or co-written or co-authored or in some cases exclu- written himself. Some all of the tough on crime bills and all of the you know uh, civil asset forfeiture and the strengthening of qualified immunity, the 1033 military surplus program where the military industrial complex is just dumping military surplus equipment and vehicles and weapon systems yeah. on police departments that don't need them, and then giving them military training and teaching them how to escalate using military equipment. All of the things that have contributed to the worsening police brutality that we see, uh, and the police brutality that we've seen. Uh, against the protesters protesting police brutality. Joe Biden is 100% behind and Donald Trump has been cheerleading it uh, for decades now. Um, I have seen live video of police officers in America doing things that soldiers in a war zone are actually not allowed to do. Are not allowed to do, that's correct. Destroying medical supplies, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and attacking non-combatants. Attacking the press, uh, 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 firing on people that are unarmed. I, I got I got news for people. When you show up uh, and you allow yourself to be coordinated, I shouldn't even say allow yourself. 
when the police are cordoning you into an area and they're all heavily, heavily armed and they know you're not and they know that, you know, you're showing up and peacefully protesting. I've got news for you. You're being set up for an ambush because they know that they're going to be able to hit you with that tear gas that would never be allowed under the Geneva Convention if they used it anywhere else. It's a violation here, but because it's domestic, there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, Hitting you with these pepper balls, which are basically like very large. uh, They're almost like the paint balls, except they're harder Mm -hmm. and they're filled with a chemical that's similar to pepper spray. People have died Mm -hmm. from getting hit by pepper balls. They're just popping them off on people left and right. They're doing this to crowds of people. They're spraying crowds with tear tear gas and pepper balls, and then they're tasing them and beating them. These are people that were not being violent. And then they go, look at these violent protests we're having to deal with. But we see the timeline. They come in peacefully, <laughs> yeah. they get Weird. brutalized, and they start fighting back. New York, uh, uh, the, the New York government recently suspended habeas corpus for the first time since the Civil War. So, I mean, we are living in some very weird times, and it is it's under very- the exclusive control of the Republicans and Democrats. Right. As I say, it's very orchestrated. Like it's, it's very clearly. And then, you know, people's emotions are high, which is, it's hard to see through that, to think through that, you know, and, and like we're having the current thing and not to get too much into current racial events, but like the whole Aunt Jemima thing, Mm -hmm. Chrissy has been very, um, she's been fighting the good fight. I've been watching you on Facebook. These are people, fighting the Karens. People that are not outraged about anything else that's going on. They've not said a fucking word about Mm -hmm. any of widespread corruption, police brutality, children in dog kennels, none of that shit. But they're pissed off because they're taking Aunt Jemima off the pancake syrup. Like, that's the thing that you're going to spam my news feed with this morning, bitch. Okay. Sorry for my language. We were nice to All this other stuff. (laughs) The COVID-19 and the lockdowns and the protests and the the police brutality and decades of systemic racism and institutional. That's for sure. (laughs) Do not take, do not make me use Mrs. Butterworth instead of Aunt Jemima, or I guess whatever they're replacing, because they're not, they're not ending that syrup, which by the right. way, I, my, I have family from Vermont. That's not syrup. It's high food, yeah, fructose exactly. syrup. It's, it's not maple. Syrup, it yeah. is, I guess like, it is syrup, but it's, it's, it's not, caramel coloring. Yeah, yeah. It's caramel sugar colored water. sugar, sugar water, sugar mm-hmm. concentrate. Um, but if you, if you now want it, it's going to be labeled, I guess, Quaker Oats syrup or something, whatever, whatever they're relabeling, relabeling yeah. it. I guess that was, that was the straw though. Yeah. Well, they, these are some of them did get pretty pretty stirred up a couple of months ago when they couldn't get their nails done and a haircut because you know they might die. Um, so that's just kind of the same crowd there. You if know, they die, we'll do their nails and their hair. To the, exactly. I'll be doing. <laughs> no, we're morticians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's um, another statue idea of okay, someone I'm who dies it. getting their nails done. I hope everybody likes winged eyeliner because that's what I'm doing. So um uh. What about like the the some of the the economic things that are being proposed by the Black Lives Matter? That was a um, that was a listener question, right? They want to know. Yes. Do you, what, how do you guys as as a libertarians feel about some of those economic? Well, so many of the, and I don't know every single economic proposal from the Black Lives Matter organization, but I I will say this, in general, those ideas tend to come from the left and they're coming from a good place. They're coming from the reality that most people uh, in this system, and especially people in marginalized communities, communities of color, gender and sexual minorities, religious ethnic minorities, immigrants, uh, the poor, the homeless are completely being left behind by this system. The system is not for them. 
The system no. really isn't even for us. Stop. This system is a system that is designed to give the appearance of a civil society, but it is really a system of organized theft that is yeah. to benefit, benefit, you know, we talk about the 1%. The 1% is three and a half million people. This country is not being run by three and a half million people. This country is being run by a, a relative handful of people who are incredibly, incredibly wealthy and powerful and who leverage a system that they on the, on the, uh, has the facade of being for a, a fair and equal society, but it is, it is from the ground up designed, or I guess from the top down, designed to funnel every bit of wealth and power from those with the least to those with the most in this sort of perpetual move, sort of trickle up economics of more and more power and wealth being concentrated into a dwindling smaller and smaller number of incredibly, incredibly powerful people. Um, And so that is where the ideas from the left come from as they say, well, let's give that, let's get that back, make the government, make them give it to me. Uh, The problem with any of these kinds of reallocation programs is that they're being run by the same people who are running this current system and not even just the same people because you can replace them with new people, but it's the same system. So any kind of system of, of wealth redistribution or anything else is ultimately going to lead to the powerful having more power and the power and the wealthy having more wealth. What we propose is a system that dismantles these systems to begin with. And, and for example, so when we look at what people of color are facing, when we look at what poor people are facing, when we look at what marginalized people are facing in general, people who are not in a good position in life, we see a series of burdens that are put in front of them that prevent them from being able to get ahead. So everything from ridiculous, overly burdensome occupational licensing laws that say that you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars and two years in school to be able to braid hair or yeah. do makeup yeah. or, or, or you know, or embalm or yeah. any of these things. So I can't imagine what, what you two had to spend and in terms of time and money to be able to do what you're doing. <laughs> but imagine if instead you could have just apprenticed under someone who did it. And once you reached a level of excellence in that, now you, you could do, do it. Prof- yeah. You have to do both. You have to, do both. You, have to, you have to get the, you have to spend the money and get the degree and then, and then do the apprenticeship and, yep. the apprentice- and then finding the apprenticeship. And then you have to spend yeah. the money on the licensure and the testing. And it's, it's so much. And it wasn't like that 20 years ago. Exactly. And, you know, like, and I hear the old people not to, not to jump on this point, but like we hear no, the old this is are, exactly it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just getting more and more difficult to yep. become something anything yeah. anything they are they yeah. are they are criminalizing getting ahead in life right. and so now if you add to that being a person of color so now you have implicit institutional bias against you just by your identity and your appearance mm-hmm. over and above what's being added to everyone else's plate yeah. it is increasingly functionally almost impossible to truly get ahead in any real way because yeah. you sort of have to do it under the table, whatever you're doing. And which means you're eventually going to get caught or you'll just never really be able to get to a high enough level because you, you can't afford to do it. You know, you can't, you can't do that illegally. Eventually they're going to catch you. So yeah. you are kind of kept in this, in this box that you have to stay in. When I was doing uh, uh, door knocking tours and housing projects, everyone I talked to had a side hustle. Everyone was doing something. They well, were, is, I mean, everybody, had, every, every, yeah. yeah two everyone or three. was doing two yeah. or three things. Even people in their seventies, they had something they were doing. They'd make food. They were catering. They were doing all, no one had a license. No one could afford the thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in compliance mm-hmm. costs, not to mention all the other costs that were, that were involved in it to, to be able to do that. They it's could, they, 
They were good at what they did. And so they did it for a price. And that's none of the government's business. So that alone would remove a, a, a major thing there. Another thing that we would do, we would end all of the militarization of the police. We would end all of the all of the we'd end the war on drugs. We'd end the war on sex work. We would end the war on guns. We'd end the war on income. We would end the war on people trying to get ahead in life and to be able to exert their self-ownership and their autonomy and to be able right. to actually move ahead in life. That alone is far more radical and far more revolutionary than anything that I've seen that's being proposed. Because people, not only does it put power back in the hands of the people, but it takes the power out of the hands of those who are intentionally trying to keep people down, especially the most marginalized among us. Yeah, people are freaking out about the terms defund the police because there's a lot of misinformation about that. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, they don't understand. And they feel like it's going to be this anarchy, dystopian, Mad Max, Fury Road situation. Well, let's talk about anarchy for a moment. Let's do it. When people hear anarchy, they think what we got going on now. Well, what we got going on now ain't anarchy. This is the logical conclusion of a militarized police state being imposed on a people who increasingly reach a point where they don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And they, they aren't going to take it anymore. And they don't care what happens as a result. So this is statism. The chaos that you're told is going to happen in anarchy is actually the logical conclusion of allowing Democrats and Republicans to stay in control of things Mm -hmm. and to keep imposing their terrible, elitist, institutionally racist, institutionally bigoted, uh, uh, you know, crony friendly, harmful, inequitable and abusive ways on society because they are not society. Society exists and tries to thrive despite them. And we're not proposing anarchy. Go ahead. It seems like eventually uh, just like trying to live in any way will be criminalized. Like you can't hide in your house and smoke a plant. You can't make lumpia and sell them to your buddies. Exactly. You, know? like you can't do hair in the kitchen. It And it just seems like more and more it's, you know, every little thing. I, it's criminalized. I do, I do understand that like you and um, uh, Dr. Jorgensen was talking to us yesterday a little bit about, um, you know, a lot of the questions that we would ask her, she would say, well, she is in favor of allowing the states to be in charge of their own business, which I get. So, but I'm curious as to what that would look like in cases where like we have federal laws that have Trump state laws for the good, like back when gay marriage was federally legalized, it eliminated, you know, some states, who were Some not state recognizing yeah. gay marriages because that hurts Jesus or whatever. And um, so you would have couples that had been legally married <laughs> in a legal state. And then, you know, they moved to a state where it's illegal, but they're, you know, now that it is federally legal. So how do you, the, I'm, I'm, this is my roundabout way of asking, right. like what I, I understand that you guys are, are for, you know, returning autonomy to the state in a, in a degree yeah. but yeah so yeah. How, how would how does that look for you guys like how would that look on you know if you guys were in charge well first of all we are strongly against hurting jesus i'd just like to take that off the plate i don't i don't want to be seen yeah. as a pro you know jesus has been through enough um i think jesus has been through enough and i, I what i will say is so when it comes to you know the the federal government's role is to stop is to Basically, if you look at how the Constitution was written and, and, and what the, the purpose was, the Constitution lays out very specifically what the federal government is empowered to do. Everything else is left to the states, but 
the federal government has primacy when it comes to enforcing people's constitutional rights and people's constitution and, and the constitutional rights have been, you know, pretty much in line with what the uh, Libertarian Party believes. We go a little bit further past what, what the Constitution would say in terms of what people's rights are, but the constitutionally affirmed rights, especially with all the case law that's in place now, uh, it's it's pretty broad in terms of what it, it believes that people have. Um, and so we actually propose where right now our Department of Justice is primarily used as a military policing arm to to kind of create this federal policing system that's uh, carried out by the state and local police with this ever-increasing militarization and ever-increasing centralization of policing powers and ever-increasing erosion of people's civil liberties and people to fight against law enforcement or or fight against the 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 actions of law enforcement and, and be able to defend themselves. Against, yeah, they're just trying to defend themselves. So. Yeah, and, and so, and, and, and I mean even defending themselves in court. So like, for example, the federal government uh, uses a, and I'm, I'm not getting around your question. I'm this, this does go back around to what you were saying, but I'm, I'm giving an example of what they're currently doing now and how that would end and be replaced with what you're talking about. So right now, the federal government's biggest role in policing is to run the civil asset forfeiture program where anyone who's convicted, who is, uh, accused, not even tried yet, but accused of a crime has all of their stuff stolen from them by the government impounded by them. And then, it's used to pay for their prosecution instead of them being able to use their own stuff to pay for their defense. And then if by some miracle they are still found not guilty or the charges are dropped, they then have to pay to sue the government, pay them with what I have no idea. They have nothing pay to sue the government to get their own property back, even though they were found not guilty. That is the way that the federal government is interacting with the States right now. That kind of stuff would end immediately. The Department of Justice would become a department of actual justice. It would go after abusers at the state and local level and abusers at the federal level as well. It would go after abusive police and it would also go after abusive states. So if a state enacted a law that violated someone's constitutional rights and their natural rights, then the Department of Justice would be used to go after them to sue them in federal court to stop it. So can the states be allowed to set certain policies on certain things? Yes. But if it goes, if it rises to the level of actually imposing on someone else's right, uh, then that is when the federal government would step in. And rightfully so. That's the way federalism is supposed to work. Okay. I feel like a lot of states are going to secede. You know what I mean? Which, probably won't that, them. Yeah, exactly. They'll be the ones we don't like. Sorry, if we are in, we don't have an official policy on secession. That I know of. So uh, and like so it's what, yeah. And, 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 and I don't, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the campaign or anyone else. I will say that if we are to consider what we are in to be a, uh, governed, uh, uh govern that uh, governing of the consent, uh, you know, consent of the governed, then right. there needs to be an opt out or else that's not really consent. If you're not allowed to leave. Also, like you said, Bye. Um, so, you know, I I think there was a constitutional amendment or some kind of legislation that makes it almost impossible for states to actually secede. So there's nothing in the actual constitution. There is a precedent called the civil war, uh, which is that the, but that's not an actual like legal, (laughs) it's not like a case after that. Right. They did. That's what you're talking about. There's no case law on secession. There is the precedent is that, the civil war was the precedent is that you can leave if you want. And then you're, you've declared war against the United States 
and and that's how that works. Mm. That sounds like a lot of drama. Yeah. Well, we're watching the Chaz situation with interest. <laughs> Lesser hearts, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lesser little hearts. Yeah. You know, I love it when the children do things. You know, I'm proud of them just for getting out there. Yeah. But, I mean, bless her heart. Like no, your goth, your goth industrial granny heart is just yeah. warm just to want, its bottles. Your, st- want, your steampunk heart. Ten, yeah. ten points for effort. Ten, ten points for dreaming because I think it's adorable. And It and looks like the worst sweet. summer camp ever, though. Like The you worst know, what? Reminds summer, me of a yeah. rainbow gathering. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I mean, I get it, but I'm, I'm getting too. many conflicting reports from people who I greatly respect on all sides from it that I don't even know what to make of it yet, because I'm hearing everything from it's the beginning of a peaceful revolution that's going to domino across the whole country to it's a total mess and a sham. And they're going around robbing people and extorting businesses and, you know, ripping up stuff so they can, you know, put pottery down and stuff like, you know, yeah. and, and everything in between. And I'm hearing everything in between. So I really don't even know what to make of what's happening there. The um, pictures are fun because one side, it's like the best farmer's market ever. And the yeah. other side, the other pictures are like, it's Chuck E. Cheese on meth. Right. Um, so I have and a there's, who there's lives no in Seattle and she went down there because she's nosy, just like I am. If I live there, I'd be down there looking. Um, and she says like a, like a farmer's market, you know, there were maybe 25 yeah. people there. They were selling stuff on blankets there's a guy digging putting in a garden like it i think it's a sweet um optimistic little anarchist utopian it's a starter set anarchy starter set but, yeah you know but i go it, eventually it'll it'll kind of peter out and i think it may be kind of a little bit is taken away from the main point of the protest sure yeah in a, in a weird way but i don't want to you know i don't want to piss anybody off i'm probably going to get enough deference for the jesus comedy so well we are dead girls talking so um right. and if they're listening to us they're already pretty familiar with your views so we wanted to ask so you know a lot of our dude friends who are rabid libertarians sent us questions because they really enjoyed your first appearance on our show yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and thank you for that that was wonderful well, absolutely. i was, I was happy to come on yeah we're super glad to have you back yeah. um and some of the things i, I got a plethora of questions <laughs> Um, one of the one question, well, Christy, did you want to ask him the question that you were talking about? I do want to ask you, um, about healthcare because, um, Dr. Jorgensen touched on it just a little bit yesterday, but she obviously had very strict, much stricter time constraints than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I feel like you guys want to do away with the ACA. Um, and you're talking about introducing competition, price competition back into the medical to uh, as kind of a, a way to, yeah the market is kind of a way to bring the cost down I'm, i mean you know, i'm talking to people like i know when my mother was on chemo one bag of chemo was around 10 15 grand and then one bag and some people take more than one and and you do that every other week and then the day after you go get a shot and the shot costs fifteen thousand dollars right and then I'm hearing from people who survived COVID and then they've got a million dollar hospital bill waiting on them because they charged twelve ninety nine for one hall's cough drop. Right. And like I was talking to a friend of mine, his family was completely bankrupted because, you know, his dad was injured in a freak accident. And mm-hmm. so you're you know, asking. Was, so like, what are you guys going to do? Like people are suffering for lack of affordable health care and every mm-hmm. other nation in the free world is able to somehow pay make it so that they subsidize the healthcare industry in a way that people can actually 
not die because they can't afford their insulin or because they can't afford their copay or they don't have any insurance and it's a thousand dollars to right. go to the doctor. And so I'm just like, what, what do you guys, what do you feel like is the best way to fix that, man? Yeah. So our healthcare system is obviously an absolute mess. Um, right. We are spending something like three times as much uh, uh, per, and that includes government spending. We're spending something like three times as much as the, uh, as the developed nation average. So not even including like developing countries. Um, and it's, it's even, you know, a lot of people who think we have free market healthcare, it's not even close. The federal government, federal and state governments spend uh, more money per patient in the United States than all, but like three or four other countries. Right. Okay. So we are spending way. So the, even just if you take out what we're spending out of park pocket, the government itself, if you just looked at that, we're already spending almost as much as every other country. The system is com- a total mess. And you have you talked about the, you know, the the, the $13 cough drop or and, and it gets even worse. There's the, the bags of saline that cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I get an infusion every month for my MS and the market price, the insurance charge market price is something like eighteen thousand dollars every month. Yeah. Um, you have the um uh you have this situation where companies go into because of our ridiculous patent laws on old drugs that have been around forever and have been around for longer than most of us have been alive and companies uh uh, uh venture capital companies will go into a pharmaceutical company buy the company gut everything they'll gut the research and development gut the marketing gut everything and just hold on to the patents and turn around and jack up the patent price by something like you know 10 or 20 times what the price was that's why uh, uh, um uh uh, that's why insulin costs as much of it as it does. That's why epinephrine costs as much of it as it does. That's why all these things cost so much is because government is allowing cronies to step in and leverage the law to make an absolute fortune. You Ooh. couple that with the red tape and and bureaucracy that's be cr- being created by the uh, uh, the Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance regulations compliance costs, that alone contributes to as much as 75% of the cost of healthcare. So those two things, just those two things, that's before you get into these ridiculous certificate of need laws, where if you have a, if you want to build a hospital, if you want to build put an MRI machine in an area, do anything. You actually have to go to that municipality under federal law. You have to go to that municipality with a certain number of signatures on a petition and basically beg the municipality to allow you to increase the supply of something in that given market under the certificate of need. I would assume that the patient's would decide what's needed, not the government. So we have a system that if you just remove, just before we get into all that other stuff, just removing the the ridiculous patent laws and the ridiculous uh, uh, compliance costs that are related to Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance, that would reduce the cost of healthcare exponentially right there. And it would also reduce the cost of Medicare and Medicaid as a result and, and private insurance. If you look at the history of healthcare in the US, Healthcare went up and down with the cost of, of, of living pretty much in direct correlation with the overall cost of living up until yeah. World War II. Right. What happened in World War II? FDR, because the government at that point was high, was uh, ni- 80 or 90 percent of the people that were working during World War II were working directly for the federal government in order to, uh, to, to do whatever they were doing on behalf of the war effort. And, to, and so to stop war profiteering, I need to make sure both my hands are in war profiteering so I don't just look like I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> FDR threatened to impose wage caps so that you couldn't pay. They were going to say for each job, you could only pay this much. Mm-hmm. And so in anticipation of that happening, 
uh, in order to get the best workers, companies started finding ways around that. Okay, well, we can only give you this much, but we're also going to give you benefits. One of those benefits was health insurance. Up until then, health insurance was the small nuisance fee that some people paid so that if you had some kind of catastrophic event, it would come in and pay for it. Similar to how your car insurance is. Your car insurance doesn't pay for your your gas or your oil changes or your tires. It pays for if something terrible happens and mm-hmm. it usually only it, and it at least covers the liability and may even cover yours if you have comprehensive care. But it doesn't yeah. cover like, you know, changing your windshield wipers and stuff like that. Health insurance was similar. If you had a catastrophic event, it would step in and take care of it. But otherwise, the doctors had to keep healthcare affordable enough to have enough patients to be able to make money. So it kept healthcare costs low. And there wasn't a lot of regulation involved because there weren't these gigantic insurance companies and Mm -hmm. gigantic uh, uh, government, all these other things. So what happened was uh, health insurance became a standard part of of most employment plans. The uh, red tape involved with health insurance caused the price of healthcare to start rising. So about 20 years later in the 1960s, we started hearing calls for government healthcare, but just for the poor Medicaid and just for the very elderly Medicare. Once that got introduced, exponentially the amount of regulations came into place because now the government in order to cut costs put all these regulatory burdens that actually increase the cost. And now that government's in control of healthcare for all the poor people and all the elderly people who instantly became massive voting blocks, now all the cronies came in and said, oh, well, well the best way to control healthcare is to pass this law I just wrote that totally isn't going to benefit me at everyone else's expense, I promise. Right. Uh, oh, and also I'm going to keep paying for your campaign. So over time, the more involved government has gotten into the healthcare market, the higher the costs have gone up and the yeah. lower the, the, the lower the access has gone down. And so we believe- It's that pretty you, ridiculous. I mean, I would- Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was. All, all well, I was, I was say the, is, <laughs> Go ahead. I was in the emergency room a couple of weeks ago from a Mothra fight, and I have health insurance, and I still have a thousand dollar bill. You know, yeah. and that's like it's craziness. The system is not serving us. The system is serving incredibly wealthy people. And so what we do is we we get rid of before we start, because we aren't going in and ending Medicare or Medicaid or anything like that, uh, mm-hmm. or ending ACA, because that's not feasible. I can't go in and say, yeah, we're going to fix this. Give me that breathing tube, grandma. Like it doesn't work that way. You can't, you don't, you don't start by taking from people. You start yeah. by eliminating the burdens that cause them to need that in the first place. Whether mm-hmm. we're talking about social security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, housing vouchers, anything, any part of the the safety net that is in place. Because the safety net is only part, that's the carrot to the stick that's behind them of the burdens and, and regulatory burdens and tax burdens and barriers that have been put in place by a system that is designed to keep people down and unable to lo- rise up to the benefit of those who are already in power. So that safety net is just to keep them from burning everything down. That mm-hmm. is literally all it is, is yeah. to keep people comfortable enough where they don't, where they don't try to where they don't where they rec- where they don't rebel against the fact that they're not allowed to try to get ahead. So the way that we deal with healthcare is we get rid of the burdens, the the regulatory burdens and 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 try to streamline the system as much as possible by eliminating those burdens and those regulations so that the cost necessarily goes down, which makes those things more affordable and also makes it more affordable for individuals while also doing economic practices and and changing changes to our economic system that have people rise out of the need for ACA or Medicaid so that when they when they 
they reach that point, they they graduate from those systems because they don't need it anymore because they're in a better place financially. So no, the, the goal is not take things from people. The goal is to remove the barriers so that they don't need those things in the first place. Right. That's um, also, I've noticed like in my hometown, at least um, where I grew up, it's McMedicine now, like giant corporation owns like 10 hospitals. They've slowly bought up every little private practice. So, you know, you might be going to Dr. Bob's dermatology, but really Dr. Bob has sold his business to Caramont. And yep. so there's, there, there's, they have no, there's no competition. They just That's- own it all. That is a function of this system. We in have order that in general too, though. A small, yeah, we do. it's that with everything. The yeah. function of the system is to create it so that you can't do it yourself because the compliance burden is simply too high for a doctor and a handful of employees to handle it. It yeah. is so complicated. There are so many different aspects involved. If you want to be a doctor and God forbid someone comes in from another state to need care, you need an entire team just to deal with whatever that person's state's insurance program uh, compliance is. And so the only way that you can functionally do your job in healthcare, in in the funeral home business, in uh, uh, in any business, really, is increasingly you just have to join some bigger company that ma- that man, you know, a health management company or whatever else management company. It is intended that way. It is intended to centralize power in the private sector, in the so-called private sector, into inc- into the hands of increasingly powerful people, so that it, so that the small guy can't get ahead in life, because there's simply too many regulatory burdens. Even if they're already established, you have already established doctors who say, this is too hard. I can't afford to hire all the people I would like to hire. And so... I either retire early and get into something else, or I just go and let it be taken over by Atrium or or uh, here it's uh, Strand Health is a big one or Carolina Carolina Health Centers or whatever. Like there's a bunch of different ones. Uh, uh, and I'm not saying they're bad in and of themselves. They're a necessary reaction to the impositions that have been imposed by government, that they mm-hmm. simply, no one is going to be able to, to reach all these different compliance costs. And so now what happens is they're controlled from the top down by a, by a centralized authority, uh, a centralized, you know, large business, and they now no longer have control of things. So now a doctor doesn't get to spend 20, 30 minutes with a patient. They're told they have 12 minutes or 13 minutes or some ridiculous thing, which means if they go over, they just have to stay and not get paid. I have a lot of friends that are doctors and they said the old thing where you make, you know, all this big money and then your, your job's fairly, that, those days are all gone. You are, you are living on, you do well. But you're paying off ridiculous student loans and you're having to give massive amounts of money to these health management companies. And you still have to pay your own uh, 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 insurance, your own malpractice insurance and all of that stuff. In most cases, you're basically just a a wage slave like everyone else. And this is doctors. Uh, Yeah. and, and, you know, it's, yeah, that's who you want to be disgruntled at their job. That, yeah. That's who you want to, that's who you yeah. want to be completely stressed out and, and, yeah. and trying to keep track of who's who is doctors. Well, I have a friend, he's a military doctor and he's a military doctor because he had to join the military to pay off his loans because yeah. he could not, he and his wife are very, you know, they're, they're educated, you know, right living people and they had to do this because otherwise there was no way they'd be be able to feed their kids. And what happens is people go, the problem is these greedy health management companies. The health management companies are a necessary uh, market. uh, 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 It's the market finding a way to take on the new burdens being imposed upon them by 
the government. That's what it is. This in a truly free market, we wouldn't need all of this because doctors would still be able to just, you know, imagine if we had to have food insurance. Food. We talk about how important healthcare is. What about food? You'll die without food. In the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union ended, there were a tremendous number of people who were very worried about how they were going to get food because in their entire lives, the government controlled who got food. Well, Cuba. It was, it was foreign. To, and if you went to them and said, the market will provide food. You need food. There will be supply and demand. And they go, you're crazy. The market could never supply food. There's no way. We need a government to decide. Otherwise, only the rich are going to be able to get food. But look what we have. And it's a heavily, it's a regulated market, but the vast majority of people can afford at least enough food to live. Some cannot, some definitely cannot. And for them, it's illegal to feed them. Uh, and we would end yeah. that. Yeah, it's illegal to feed them. Uh, but so, but, but back to this thing with the food, if we had food insurance, can you imagine what your food, if, if, if instead of just being able to go and get uh, uh, food in a largely free market system, the government said food is too important for this to be left to the free market. We need to control it and have food insurance and a affordable food care act and all of that stuff. Can you imagine what our food would be like and how much it would cost? Yeah, it'd be terrible. It would be like our health care. I feel like it's a lot of Which is terrible. Like, I feel like terrible. I feel like it's a puffed rice situation. Like that's all we would be like able to get. You and me. Yeah, we we would be getting a lot of gruel, and it would cost us thousands of dollars a year. We'd be we'd yeah. be eating that weird loaf that they feed people in prison. Yes, and no, we the wouldn't. Loaf. No, we wouldn't, because we would do exactly what he's saying: is we would get our side hustle and well, do it under the table, and then get arrested for feeding people. Yeah. And, and we'd also, you know, you would have the government saying, you know, we need to regulate food. People are eating this black market food that yeah. everyone knows tastes better, but it's it's unsafe because we haven't checked it. And you have the government saying, if it wasn't for you, you'd be relying on black market food. This is what our healthcare system is. They took over the healthcare system. They handed it off to the cronies and it's intentional. They're doing this in order for us to go, okay, fine. Just give us single payer care and be done with it. And single payer is not the best system. The best system is a system whereby you and your doctor are working on your medical needs and the, yeah. the medical system has to keep the price e equilibrium at a point where they can still serve people right. because if the government's not just handing them endless amounts of money with the regulatory burden to go along with it, they can't just keep jacking up, excuse me, jacking up the prices because if there aren't butts in seats, if they don't have people sitting in their lobby because their f prices are too unaffordable, the prices have to go down. Right. And we don't have that in this market. We don't have price equilibrium in this market because it is a government controlled market. So the prices will continue to skyrocket until morale improves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so what do you think the solution is for uh, police violence? Do you think it's just the defunding situation? Federal defunding, uh, 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 getting rid of the federal government has largely created this problem. There is yeah. a problem with systemic racism, systemic racism and implicit bias. And the best way to deal with that is community policing. Allow communities to control what their policing looks like. There is no reason for an entire state to be, to be deciding what, it, what a city's uh, policing looks like that city yeah. should be deciding that i also believe we need to be using the department of justice to actively go after abusive police and police forces with a, a history of abuse and discrimination yeah. um and i think that we need to be actively encouraging through the use of the bully pulpit and through just cultural uh pressure to move to away from a system of retribution justice and towards one of restorative justice uh yeah. the idea that if someone robs from someone they should be put in a cage for several years that doesn't serve anyone it doesn't serve the victim it certainly doesn't serve the the person who did it they go in there they have to become hard so that they can survive 
because they're in there with murderers and rapists and people who have already been in there many times and also had to become yeah. hard to survive. They're being thrown in a rape cage. They're being yeah. thrown in a cage with a, with people who are putting in an unnatural situation where they have to stay in these cages. And it's, you know, primarily men that are being put in the, there's women as well, but it's mostly men. And you take men, you put them in these cages. The worst is going to come out of them. Same thing with the women. You're putting people in cages. The worst is going to come out of them. They're going to do it to each other because it's the only pe- person they have any power to do it to. Mm-hmm. And then they come out, they've been scarred from that experience of having to be hard in this this terrible situation for many many years mm. uh they have a felony record on them that that they're stamped with never going to do anything never yeah. going to be able to get that off unless they can make big money which they can't because they can't get a good job uh they're told they can't leave the state very often uh they aren't allowed yeah. to own a weapon they're not allowed to go into entire types of business and so they now oh oh and their credit's probably been ruined because they were more than likely i think it's something like 80 percent or 70 percent of people that come out of prison are the victims of of at least one instance of um of identity theft because mm-hmm. their social security number is, is out floating around and there's, and, and, you know, they've been in there so long that the, the, um, the statute of limitations for them to even be able to fight it is over. So now they're stuck with, you know, all these ridiculous debts and bankruptcies and whatever else is on their record, their credits completely ruined. And so now they have one of two uh, choices, abject pop, actually three choices, abject poverty, a life of crime, or just intentionally do something to go back into prison because you're right. used to it at this point. We need to get away from retributive justice and go towards restorative justice. If instead that person who committed that, that theft crime, for example, okay, you have to pay them back. What was the value of that theft? You have to pay them back. You have this much time to do so. And here are installments of how you can pay them back. And we're going to look at what caused that. Is there a problem in the home? Is there a problem or something that is going on that's leading to it? Or were you just being a jerk and stealing from someone? In which case you just got to pay it back. But if there's an actual problem, well, let's look at the problem. And well, people, I, know, I know people that are listening right now and going, that's going to cost way too much. It's going to cost way less than putting them in a cage for the rest of their yeah. life. Exactly. In a, in a, in this in a prison. private prison, which we don't, yeah, I think a lot of people prison. don't realize yeah, that our prisons are for profit now. A lot of Well, them. and you can't get a lot of this. A lot of these crimes are drug related and you cannot get affordable rehabilitation. Like you, no. you have these repeat offenders because, and they wouldn't do it if they had access to rehab and rehab is way less expensive than putting someone in a cage for the rest of their life and for-profit prisons. That's just the beginning of the problem. There are companies on the stock market who all they do and they make billions of dollars doing it is contract prison labor for the States. Yeah. So anyone who's seen 13th on the, on Netflix or knows about the 13th amendment, chattel slavery never ended. It was just taken out of the hands of the private sector and put in the hands of government. And right. but now the private sector is back involved doing the contracting. They make billions of dollars, largely on the backs of ethnic minorities, primarily African Americans. But you so have it a, you have this generational thing where people forget. They forget that they have rights because it's been suppressed for so long. Yeah, you know, like you said something earlier about 1992, or th- and I thought that is people are actually older now, like voters. You have voters that are older than that coming yep. up, you know, that have no real idea mm-hmm. of what they, they are actually capable or what they're allowed to think. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It is a, it is a major problem across the board. Uh, and, and that's the whole Democrat Republican rope dope too, is people are conditioned that there's the entire political spectrum is Democrat, Republican and centrist. That's it. That's it. That if you're not, you know, and then there's like a handful of wild, crazy people outside of that. But if you look at the actual political spectrum, there is so little daylight 
between the Republican and Democrat parties that I call them the, the Republicrats. They're essentially one yeah. big party. All they're going to do, they've had exclusive control of this whole thing together for 150 plus years. All they're going to do is make government more powerful, have more control of your life, take more from you and give it to their their favorite cronies at your expense. And yeah. that's what Joe Jorgensen and I propose to end. We want a society in which people feel freer and healthier and happier and have a better future for their children because we've removed the burdens and the barriers that the politicians and the bureaucrats and the cronies have created to necessarily make their lives more difficult for no other reason than to preserve their own power and wealth and that of their friends. Jeez, you're such a professional, Spike. Like we can't yeah. stop that. That's like a great that's a great note to end on. I can't <laughs> wait for you to get in the debate, man. That, yeah, like we are out. Yes. Fifteen percent really? or more we can get in the debates. Yeah, really we're gonna excited for you and Joe offering us a viable option in a, a presidential race that was otherwise looking like, okay, which disgusting molester am I going to yeah, vote Very, very bleak. Yeah. It's the, the worst user adventure. The one or the completely insane one? Which one? And yeah, which one are you even talking about? You know, I'll say, you know, <laughs> I, I, someone will say, well, I'd vote for you, but I don't want that, you know, uh, rapist, uh, the, the racist rapist with a, you know, a history of uh, uh, victimizing people to get in. And I'm like, I don't want either of those bats to get involved, that, that to yeah. get into office. That's why Joe and I are running. So I do have to go. We're on yeah. to our, our next thing. But um, JoJ2020.com, yep. that's JoJ2020.com. Sign our volunteer, sign up for our volunteer form. Find me and Joe on social media. I am on Twitter at Real Spike Cohen. Uh, and on Facebook, just search for Spike Cohen and you'll find me. Or it's facebook.com slash literally Spike Cohen. Uh, we'd love to Thank we would love to, all of your help uh we'd love to have your contribution if you're able to do so joj2020.com slash contribute if you're able to give we'd love it if you can just share our content and support us that would be great we uh, hope to have your support in november thank you guys so much thank you spike thank bye. You, bye. bye thank you bye 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 presented by the 910 comedy podcast network